I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design, recorded live in the Living Kitchen Studio. I'm not going to lie. I love doing this. As much as I love doing this, it still gets to be a grind sometimes. I find myself telling you about exotic locations and amazing spaces crafted by extraordinary designers and architects while I'm sitting at an edit bay and it gets tough sometimes. That being said, it took me literally decades to turn my passion for architecture and design into a viable business. No different from how you started your business. Ups, downs, and plenty of hard work along the way. The best part for me about doing this, it's the conversations I have with the creatives that appear on the podcast. On this episode, you're going to hear from designer Shiri Dolgan. Like me, Shiri is a native Angelino. And I had to warn her, don't tell me you're a native Angelino because I'm going to start telling you stories about growing up in the San Fernando Valley in the 1980s. In the Valley, during the Valley Girl days, it was extraordinary, uh, as you might think. Sleeveless, aqua shirt with the red parachute pants and bright white Nike high tops, uh, with the fat laces, of course. The Z Cavaricis with every leather jacket that ever appeared in a Michael Jackson video. Spring Break in Palm Springs before Sonny Bono. Not cool Sonny and share Sonny Bono, but um, Mayor Sonny Bono, uh, who killed it. Uh, at a time when the remnants of the 1970s design, sunken living rooms, macrame, and pot plants growing in the backyard met Miami Vice, aqua, pink, chrome, and glass. It was an amazing time. So why am I telling you this? Because Shiri and I got to talk about that L.A., which led to a longer chat about this L.A. Shiri grew up in that L.A., on job sites because her father was a general contractor. She witnessed a time when playfulness and handcrafted California style was in a constant state of flux. That experience and experimentation gave Shiri an opportunity to craft and design her own style, which she has flawlessly. And she's going to tell you about what makes her design so uniquely hers here on this episode of Convo by Design. I love conversations about design and architecture like this. I'm curious by nature, and curiosity is the basis for this journey we take together every week. For six years now, this journey of ours has been presented by Snyder Diamond, title sponsor of Convo by Design. And what makes Snyder Diamond so special is the curiosity and guidance of second-generation president Russ Diamond. He is continually looking for products that meet and exceed the highest standards so you can perform equally for your clients. Products from companies like Sub-Zero, Wolf, and Cove, he makes them available. And if you haven't seen the Pro Series yet, you're in for a treat. This is timeless design and lasting preservation from Sub-Zero, available in sizes from 36 inches to 48 inches and too many options to mention here, so you have to go see them for yourself. Let's not forget that from well-preserved food comes well-prepared food. And that's why Wolf provides craftsmanship, innovation, design, and performance that you can trust, allowing cooks of all levels to achieve success in the kitchen. But let's talk tech for a minute. Many Sub-Zero and Wolf products are Connect-capable, so homeowners can monitor their appliances from their mobile device. Sub-Zero and Wolf provide so many options from which to choose that, as a designer, your options are almost limitless, uh, except by your own creativity. If you haven't seen what Sub-Zero, Wolf, and Cove appliances can do, it's time for you to visit any of the three Snyder Diamond Los Angeles area showrooms. You can also visit the Sub-Zero Living Kitchen in the Pasadena and Santa Monica showrooms. I'm constantly impressed, and I think you will be too. So. Sherry, it's so funny. I love that you were saying it's one of those rare occasions that mm -hmm. they don't, that there's no huge event here. And yeah, it's it's true. The Snyder Diamond winds up doing a ton of events here in the showroom, mm -hmm. and we're actually recording from the uh, Sub Zero Wolf Cove Living Kitchen Studio. 
Right. And uh, it, it's funny. I was asking you about that, and you were you were mentioning that Sub Zero is kind of like a staple. Yeah. Here in Southern California. Oh yeah. You asked if I spec it. I yeah. spec it all the time because in Southern California, this is the standard for luxury living is to have Sub Zero Wolf. So we're in the right spot. I love that. I totally agree. Um, and it's funny too because nowadays, you know, it's really interesting because I feel like a few years ago bathrooms mm -hmm. were all the rage insofar as everything was changing there was a fundamental shift shift in the way that bathrooms were being addressed they were being being built more spa-like oh, the, yeah. the lighting was addressed technology was addressed there are new things that were that were integrated into into the bath to make it seem more like a spa and i feel like now kitchens that's the shift it's all about it's all about kitchens yeah I think that even if people don't cook, they still have an expectation level when they purchase a house or they're remodeling their home. They need to have it at a certain level. They might think of resale in the next five to 10 years or not, but there is really a level of expectation now. Listen, in Southern California or, or wherever really, if you have the space, it needs to be part of the budget. You need to allocate to have high-end appliances and a full suite, not just your basic refrigerator range, dishwasher, you I mean you really need the extension, the full suite, and to make sure you have it to have a fully integrated luxury kitchen. In addition to the main kitchen, we there's a couple of things that are happening too. There's also the refocus on outdoor spaces and outdoor living. Oh yeah. We get that all the time, right? Because you're California and the weather's right. so great. So it's like, well, California style right. has, sort of dictates that you have an outdoor eating area, cooking area, prep area, just oh, like yeah. the inside. And now outdoor kitchens are made just like the indoor kitchens. A hundred percent. They're made with every single bell and whistle, even sometimes more so than the inside of the kitchen, because we're so invested in being at home, living indoor, outdoor, and also being able to experience exactly like you would inside when it's sunny and when the weather is, is well to go outside and to be able to experience the same way or have something like a pizza oven or, or something else that will make it a special event. Yeah, are, are you finding are a lot of are your clients requesting that? Are you get are you having those conversations now? Oh yeah, and what happens is we're working on an interior, and usually there's a landscape architect that might come on board as well. But we're having this camaraderie and trying to figure out how does this client want to live. And oftentimes it's integrating how do they live outside. Since we're diving really deep into what a client wants on the inside and how they're living in their home, I then have a conversation with the landscape architect of, okay, I know this is really what they want on the inside. How do we integrate that on the abs outside? We collaborate and we really try to figure out what makes most sense and make sure that they have everything that they need. And you, and you have a way and we're going to get into this. We're going to do kind of a deep dive yes. <laughs> into into you and your, your practice. What I find really wonderful and refreshing about your practice is you are very well-defined in insofar as your practice. And I'm curious, before we get into that, you were sort of brought up this way. Your dad was a GC. So my dad was a general contractor. He owned a company here, and he, he by trade, um, from his degree, he's an engineer. And he focused on um, hillside construction. So he was not the, ch the kind of contractor that was building homes or remodeling the interior. He was really dealing with pouring foundation, um, building retaining walls, digging into the earth. So um, it wasn't like I was an apprentice in this construction company and had the experience of someone who's building luxury living. I don't think my dad even mentioned the word interior designer, you know, all throughout growing up. It just wasn't that kind of thing. But what I did see was you really had to have control of a process. You had to know very confidently your beginning, your middle, your end, and the pieces in between to get you from A to Z. And there had to be a, a process because it's so many moving parts and so many things going on. And you have to be able to explain to the client what to expect, so that way everyone is clear on how to get to the end. And I get that. At the same time, I'm curious, even if he never mentioned interior design, designer, interiors, luxury, right. one time, that that industrial knowledge mm -hmm. that you gain from being on a job site right. and being around the business. Did you spend any time on the on, on job sites? Oh yeah, I remember weekends where he used to have, he had an old El Camino and my brother and sister and I would hop in the back and we hated it, of course, but we would go to job sites and we would get, you know, concrete and just dirty and it was awful and it was never a house. We were always going to a slab foundation or a hillside somewhere and it was awful. But I just remember seeing it. I remember in our kitchen table, there's always plans laid out all the time and I never knew what 
he was exactly looking at because I was very little at the time. And it was there. It was like a presence in my life growing up. And on the job site, you're just out there throwing rocks at snakes. Oh, yeah. No, you know what I do remember, which is really funny. As the homes were being built, the electrician would come in and do the rough electrical, and they would pop out those little round coins from the electrical box, and my brother and I would collect them because we swore that at the supermarket we could put them into the vending machine and get candy out of them, and it never worked. But we thought that they were quarters, but so like that's a memory I have you know, of, of grabbing those at a job site. Do you know what's amazing? <laughs> I did the same thing. You did? I'm wondering if every kid at any time thought this is going to be my first caper. Maybe, but because the truth is like there was these little gold coins everywhere. So we would just collect them. We thought we were so genius. It should work. Yeah. Um, so you you graduated from FITM. Yes. How did how did that how did that work to get you where you are today? You know, it was a it was a huge foundation to knowing the history of design, knowing my staples, my standards of what I need in order to grow into where I am today. And when I went to FITM, I didn't join um, the workforce right away and have like five years and have a mentor or whatever. I, I sort of did it the opposite way, which was I worked for a couple of different designers doing freelance CAD. And by observing the other designers and seeing what worked, what didn't, I sort of took a leap, um, you know, and with the encouragement from my husband saying, why don't you try this? Um, together, we sort of started taking clients on our own. And my husband, who was also a GC, we slowly tried to see how will this work? How will this grow? And instead of going the maybe traditional way of having a mentor and knowing how to do things the right way, I actually did a lot of mistake making learning from those mistakes, but then really using that to build a formula and a system in my company, which I use today. That's not a natural way to go. No. <laughs> it's really, really smart. What do you think it was that allowed you to know how to do it this way? Because, and, and I say this because, you know, to make, to make the same mistakes is natural. It's, it's what's right. going to normally happen unless you do it the, the normal way where you follow a designer around and you want, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? So what made you want to go that direction? You know, I think part of it was the naiveness of thinking I can just figure it out and fake it till I make it. Um, you know, and I, and I love my mistakes. I sort of cherish them because I learned so much more through my mistakes than I did had someone had handed me a business and said, this is how you do everything and this is how you invoice and this is how you deal with mistakes on a job site. I just didn't have that. So through the ability to just go blindly and trust myself and know a problem can always be solved. There's always a solution. And there's usually more than one. There's usually two to three options. They're not always the one that you want. But I think knowing that there's always a solution drove me through a problem to find an answer. And then from that, I would go, hmm, okay, next time this comes up, A, how do I avoid it? Or B, how can I structure my business to know that this might come up later? So let's, let's get it from the beginning and make sure everyone knows what the expectation is and we'll set things up so that way it doesn't happen again. Which is really smart. Also, you're you're a native Angelino. Yes. By birth. Yes. Which I is, was born. Isn't here. that funny? So it's 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 funny because now you get people who are Angelinos is a is a popular tag, and I think it's great because anyone who comes here from anywhere makes us better. Right? Oh yeah. It makes LA better. Oh yeah. But there is that special. That extra, yeah. that extra icon in in the corner, the right. native, right. native tag. Right. Um, you grew up here. You've seen changes. Oh yeah. In LA, and I, how has that affected you as a creative, as a designer? It's so interesting being in LA because you know gentrification, for instance, which I know is a term that gets tossed a lot around right now, especially with multifamily buildings going everywhere. But I really did drive through these neighborhoods growing up, and I know this area so well, and. I'm in a weird position because I'm not only a consumer of the LA market because I live here, I'm on the design end, so it is a part of my business. I work with a lot of developers and we are doing the buildings that people you know, are maybe upset about or maybe very happy about because it's improving their community. So I'm in this very weird mix of seeing the good and the bad of it. Some of that is my personality because I see sort of the good and the bad in, in a lot of different situations. but. I find it really miraculous that so much change is happening. I, 
I tend to look at it as a good thing because I also feel like it is a natural progression in any community, in any civilization that you see, there will be change. Generations grow and over time things change. And I just think it's natural and I think it's okay. And as it changes, there's a lot of things that, that I see that continually come up. Mm-hmm. And I bring this up because I want to get into your process a mm-hmm. little bit. You have a very well-defined process in LA in particular. So because the city Southern California in general, LA in particular, continues to change as much as it does. Mm-hmm. We have issues now that we didn't we we didn't really have to deal with so much in the past, like mobility. Right. You know, it takes a long time, and it's stressful to go anywhere. Oh yeah. Two blocks away, it's still stressful. Oh yeah. Um, weather, our weather patterns are changing dramatically. Yep. We have more more water. Or less water, right? Depending on the year, which if you think, okay, well, you know that affects landscape. Mm-hmm. It doesn't just affect landscape; it affects your dad. Would have a lot to say about oh, yeah. this. <laughs> it, it, it affects the engineering mm-hmm. of retaining walls oh, yeah. and soil and movement, oh, yeah. and how a house is going to move on a particular piece of land. It affects how certain materials that you spec mm-hmm. are going to, you know, it just affects everything. Yeah. How do you how do you source? How do you learn? How do you follow? How do you spec? How do you how do you manage these materials in an ever changing environment like this? It's a great question, and I think part of it comes from I don't have a fear of asking questions when I'm meeting with landscape architects or structural engineers. I ask questions, and I don't get this overwhelming feeling of oh, I'm not supposed to ask this question because I'm a designer and that's not my part in the project. I ask a lot of questions. I really want to feel as though I'm a resource for my clients because my clients don't know and they're looking at me as the main resource. They have a lot of trust in me and they really do feel like I'm the main source that's going to give them information and knowledge on a project. So I ask a lot of questions going to places and going to workshops, events, conventions, whatever it is to understand new products that are happening and being involved in the community, really. But I I think it's being inquisitive and being open-minded to try new products. You know, one of the funny things that happens on a job too is when there is a new product that gets introduced into the into the world of design or architecture, there's a lot of resistance from the labor field because they're used to doing things a certain way. And some of these products really do fulfill the resolution to a problem. But there's still a lot of resistance, so you have to be patient. You have to give them the, okay, you know, we're going to try this. It might cost you more money in labor. You tell the client, this might be a new product and there might be a learning curve. But that has to happen organically and naturally, and it, it basically has over a long period of time. And you have to be okay with being part of that process and, and sort of be the forefront of that. And it's so hard, too, especially with regard to new products. Oh, yeah. Because... You know, I just came back from uh, KBiz yeah. and the International Builder Show, and it's literally miles. It's yeah. a million plus square feet of product and product and service and product yep. and product and product. And, and holy cow, how in the world <laughs> are are you supposed to know yeah. in, individual designers? Do you have a system for 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 specking and sourcing? So our system is basically working directly right now with what we are currently focused on. Through that process of sourcing for what we need now, it, it naturally happens that we find more things. We go to showrooms and we talk to suppliers and vendors and we ask questions. Again, it goes back to this, this need and this desire to always feel like we're gaining knowledge. So we ask we're working on this right now, we need a new kind of drain. We want a linear drain. We want a linear drain that we can put tile in. Great, now what's the newer thing? Is there anything coming out you know, in the market that we don't know about yet? Oh, there's one that goes against the wall that we don't have to have it in the middle of stuff. I mean, all these kinds of things that just, you don't know unless you ask and you also don't know what you don't know, right? It's kind of a funny saying, but until you ask, you really have no idea. No, it's true. Take me through your process. You, you get asked, a lot about oh, yeah. this. I would imagine it's it's probably the thing that every client has in common. They every all want to know. They all want to know your process. And every so and so you've kind of you've kind of usurped the power from them and said, okay, you know what? I'm gonna here is my process. Yeah, and it's so true. Every single client, whether it's commercial, residential, high end, or they're they're on a tight budget, they ask this question. They go, great. How does this happen? Because I I think that somewhere in their minds, they believe little fairies come in the middle of the night and, you know, build a house (laughs) and it gets done. 
you know, so I educate and that's the first thing that has to happen in our initial meeting. And I tell them, first, I have to take an intake from you and get a really clear understanding of what you think this is going to be like and what your expectations are. We do an intake, we do a brainstorm in our office, and we do a kickoff meeting to start their project. We then present to the client. They would have to go through a couple rounds, maybe of revisions. We present to them, we give them a final plan. They have to sign off on the plan. And at that point, that's the first time anything gets executed. Until we get through that design phase, nothing has been purchased, nothing is moving forward. We need a green light on the whole thing. And why do I do that? Because as designers, we all know if you change one element, it affects the whole thing. I usually, you know, I'll use um, something like resembling a necklace. And if you have links on a chain to make a necklace, if you remove one link, it's not a necklace anymore. I need the full necklace in order to move forward. Nothing gets ordered. You're not going to get like one sink this week and an end table next week. It's not going to happen. We need the full design signed off, every single item approved. Then we move forward. Then we procure every item. We are the ones that are handling everything from A to Z. It's taken off of the client's plate and we procure it. We make sure it arrives. It's not damaged. If it is, we handle it. And until everything is ready to go, then we do a final installation. So we explain to the client, this is how your project is going to unfold. If you're on board and you're clear and you're allowed to ask questions and we're on board and we're all clear, then it should be smooth sailing. From, from the onset, the expectation has been set. There really aren't surprises. I imagine it's well received. It is. It People is. go, great. Yeah. And I imagine too, I, I don't know that there's an industry standard for number of change orders, but I would imagine that your change orders are, are probably Minimal. Lower, than the, lower than the average for sure. Yeah. The change orders basically come when clients decide to switch the use of a room, which is actually happening right now. I'm working on a project where we have you know, a large single family home and the client started out thinking that they were going to stay in their master bedroom and give their kids, their twin boys, another room. And in the middle, they switch the use of the room. They want to give their kids the master bedroom and they want to take a front room. So that that's kind of like the only case is a switch of use or if our scope didn't include, let's say, the entire house, it included the main areas and the master, but they, they sort of go, you know what, this is really working well. Let's add the guest room and let's add the pool house and let's add the other things. I mean, those are the only real change orders that happen because it's smooth sailing. Wanted to also talk to you about some of the projects sure. that you've worked on. I've, I've seen a lot of your work and, and I think it's spectacular. Thank you. That's very sweet um, of you. Lake Hollywood. Yes. Tell me about this house. Okay, so Lake Hollywood is a house that sits on the hills, view of the entire city, gorgeous, gorgeous view. And um, the client is a single man. He, um, he's a director here in LA. I'm sure if I gave you a list, you'd probably know exactly who it is, but I'm not going to. Um, but he was um, very, um, very understanding of the creative process and really wanted me to have this blank canvas. He wasn't gonna get in the way. And he wanted to have an idea in the beginning of what was the mood, what was the tone, what were the materials, things that I'm using, and just sort of let me do my thing, which was amazing because you don't always get clients like that. I mean, and, and part of it was he was too busy, right, to get into the weeds. Um, but he really wanted something that could be a showpiece. He, he knew that he wanted to buy a lot of artwork. He wanted to have a cool kind of canvas to do parties and stuff and just really let me do my thing. And it ended up being a spectacular project because when clients sort of take their hands away and, and let a designer do their creative process and really allow the organic process to happen, um, magical things can occur, you know, in a home. Did you, did he already have the artwork? Was it identified or did you know what no. it was? Was there a color palette? No. You see you where I'm what? going with this? I do. And artwork is actually the most difficult thing, I think, in our, in our work that we do because it's so subjective. I can design a room and know exactly in my mind what artwork or what piece I'd like to put in that room. But if it doesn't have any emotional attachment for the client, if they're not feeling it, even the style of artwork... If you take a room and you stick a huge piece of like Jackson Pollock, and I'm just, you know, throwing a name out there and switch it all of a sudden to a black and white piece of photography, it changes the room completely. So, so he didn't own any of the artwork. And part of the process was identifying some artists that he might like. So I start broad and I then narrow and narrow and narrow down to try to give him an understanding. And again, it goes back to the education. He hadn't bought artwork in probably 20 years. So it was, here's a little taste of this. What do you think of this kind of art? Does it do anything to you? Does your heart sing? Does it 
make you feel anything. And if it didn't, I'd move to another direction. And so... Do you do you think that you, in, in essence, became sort of an art advisor to him? I did because there was nobody else to help communicate the overall feel of what we were trying to achieve. So unlike him going on his own to just buy things that he liked, I had a vision of what this was going to finish out and be and what I wanted the art to do in that room. So I had to navigate with him. I had to give him some kind of direction and say, I know that you like this. This we could place in your master bedroom. But for your family room or your living room or your dining room, we need something in this world. Did you also wind up buying any of the pieces for him? Oh, yeah. We bought, I think it was like six or seven pieces. So yeah, you're listening to my conversation with designer Shiri Dogan. You know, I'm always trying to provide you with new resources and new voices to hear in the hopes that it will inspire you to do your best work. Another opportunity for you to do your best work is through uh, a new resource that I found in its article. Article is an online-only furniture company inspired by mid-century style and Scandinavian simplicity. As a design trade professional, you are going to love the style and the quality of article furniture. Your clients are too, and that's the best part. But here's something really cool. Article has created a trade program specifically for busy designers like you. Joining the trade program is absolutely free, and there is no minimum for you to start receiving trade discounts. None. Your clients are going to love this, and now you have some help. What's more, they have exclusive designer pricing that cannot be found for less elsewhere. They offer a standard one-year warranty on all article furniture and the shipping. You're going to love this. The shipping is flat rate in most cases, if not free, and it's fast. Stock items ship in two weeks or less. They handle special invoicing, tax-exempt purchasing, and the customer service is staffed by design trade professionals. These are real people who know what you're trying to accomplish and have the authority to help you get what you need. Something out of stock? Let them help you find it. That color's not what you're looking for? Let them help you find the color that you really need. They're here for you and they can help you because they've been in your shoes before and they know what you're trying to do. For all the details and to sign up for Article's trade program, please go to cxd.article.com. CXD as in Convo by Design, cxd.article.com. Thank you, Article. Okay, back to my conversation with Shiri Dolgan. And, you know, I, th- I think it's really important when we're talking about the trade to the trade that we that we talk about some of these things because mm-hmm. from a pricing standpoint and yeah. from, from a markup standpoint, yeah. this, can be a, this can be a profit center that I don't think m- most designers take advantage of at all. It's an, I see this as an added service that you're providing to your client. Right. Why shouldn't you benefit from, from the markup on a piece? Right. Oh, I think we should benefit from markups on everything, no matter what, as a business model, right? Yeah, But I think this part of it, it benefits both parties. As they all all should, right? Oh, yeah. Our spaces are not complete, and therefore the client will feel like the space is detached and not complete unless there's art on the walls. It just is a fact. It's a fact of life. There has to be art on the wall. Um, But if the client literally doesn't know where to start, I mean... and. And they could have great taste or they could have really no idea what they like. If they've never purchased art before, they don't even know where to begin. So it really is part of our job, I feel, to help with that education. Start somewhere. Century City Condo. Yes. Tell me about this project. So this project, I can tell you his name. This was for Apollo Ono. And at the time, which I think he's probably still single, it was for him. It was just, he was moving. He needed um, a remodel on his condo. He bought it in um, one of these condo units and it was big it was like a 2500 square foot one level condo for one guy and he again never had done a remodel i think this was actually his first purchase of a home in la hadn't had the experience of a remodel didn't know what to do and and really needed the guidance of someone to tell him and to navigate him of like this is what i would do in this day and age and you know this is what will give you longevity in the unit and if you want to sell in 10 years it's going to be okay and if you want to hold it for 25 years it's also okay his father was also involved in the process because i knew and they told me that his father would stay there a part of the time and he would stay there so they both needed to be on board with the design of it and again they just sort of let me do my creative process they were involved of course you know i had to get approval i don't order anything without approval but they allowed the design to happen and 
to be executed and it was a beautiful process. What I noticed about this project too is unless you told me as you did that it was for an athlete, right? I never would have known. No. There's no there's no memorabilia. Nope. It was so important to keep that part of it away and just to make it feel like a very calm, relaxing, very easy to take care of place to maintain and there was nothing about him being an athlete in this in this space on purpose. Interesting. So I want you to tell me about that kitchen. And I yes. want and I want to focus on a couple of things. First sure. of which is that backsplash. Yes. So that backsplash is a Caesar stone product, and it's their crocodile embossed stone, which is stunning. It's crazy. It's crazy. And I also did that selection sight unseen. I just said you have to trust me. It's really spectacular, but it doesn't hit you over the head when you're in the space. You know, it's something that when you're there, you're kind of like, is there something on the backsplash? And and you want to go touch it, but it's so beautiful and so understated and we wanted to do something quite timeless so it's a very black and white stark kitchen he wanted to make sure that when the kitchen was clean everything could have a space and be put away and you really just saw the elements so that's where the decision of that backsplash came that's crazy and the appliances the appliances i think were all i think they were all sub-zero wolf were they i think so i just that kitchen is amazing thank you and i i saw it too in the context of of being in a condo yes and thinking you know what this this looks residential home right it doesn't look high-rise it doesn't look condo right. or it just looked home you know yeah. it, it i thought it was it was beautifully done thank you uh belden drive yes interesting again yes another great kitchen and another crazy backsplash I know, and it was so interesting. So this kitchen, um, the client was much more on board. Actually, I loved the process with this client. He was really remarkable. He was one of these clients who surprised me because he loved color. And I'm a lover of color, but usually I don't get that from the client. Usually I'm the one that has to push and say, please, let's do something beyond gray and white and you know beige and things like that. I'm always the one pushing for color. But he was the one that came to me and said, I want to go shopping with you at the stone yard and I want to find a countertop that has color. I want to do something on the backsplash that is something to do with color so I don't walk in 10 years from now and go, oh, it's just a plain white kitchen and you know nothing is really there. So he was the one that really pushed for that and really wanted something spectacular. And I think it's it's really great because you're kind of... Backsplash is important right. to any kitchen designer. It is. Any designer in general, you always... You, See, I want to say that, but you know, in all honesty, I do think that that is one of the more overlooked areas in design. Right. But if you think about it as a human and your perspective, it's the thing that is facing you and you see just like you would see another human. It's right there in your face. So it's absolutely prominent. I totally get it. Which is why, why do you think, why do you think that is so overlooked? You know, I think that um, sometimes it's because of simplicity. I think when people are doing a quick flip or trying to save money, this is a place to cut it because you don't have to have a backsplash. You want a little bit in order to save your wall, but what's the purpose of a backsplash? Why did we start doing it? The purpose was really to protect your walls, wherever you have appliances or something where there is a wall. And once you serve the utilitary version of why you need it, everything else is above and beyond and you're spending extra money. Okay. Or at least okay. That's one so way to look at it. It is one way to look at it. Yeah. I kind of feel like the backsplash is jewelry for the kitchen. It absolutely is. But until you understand that and know that that's part of it, I mean, again, same like art. It is the art, right, for the kitchen. If you have no walls, that's the vertical element that's facing you, just like art. It's, and it's interesting too, as someone who went to Fitum. I, 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 I didn't go to Fitum, but I, I kind of feel this is true. I think everyone will assume mm-hmm. this is that. Fashion is a huge influencer to interiors and interior oh, design. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So when I look at interior design, specifically in the kitchen, I kind of feel like the backsplash is treated like the shirt. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like a dress shirt yeah. on a suit. It, you, yeah. you, you'll go with a herringbone or you'll go with a very, you know, a, right. a, a basic pattern, but nothing right. too flashy, nothing no. too... You, you, you are taking the, an opposite approach. Oh, it, yeah. It seems like when you can. Oh yeah, I would say the majority of the kitchens that we've done, not only do I want to have a material that's something spectacular and out of the box, but I usually cover the majority of the walls with it because I don't think it needs to stop right under the cabinetry. I think the more wall space we can fill with it, it is the jewelry, it is something special and spectacular. 
And that's what you want to see when you go into a beautiful kitchen. It really is. I, I have a feeling, too, that the backsplash is going to be one of those areas. We talk about kitchens changing and mm -hmm. the way people are using their homes. I could be totally wrong about this. I, I could be totally wrong about this. Mm -hmm. But I feel like... You know, some kitchens have the utilitarian purpose behind it where they'll put the the pot filler. Right. You know, genius. It's it's not it's not super creative. I mean, it didn't right. take a rocket scientist to figure that out. Mind, it's just that easy and makes sense. I kind of feel like the backsplash, though, is going to start to take on a different perspective because we spend so much time in our kitchens. Right. Between a movie screen, TV screen, oh, yeah. fish tank. I mean, you know, you get the thought oh, of yeah. putting a fish tank over a heat source. It's probably not the best right. idea in the world. But... <laughs> I feel like using that backsplash as something that is traditionally just wasted. Oh, yeah. We're going to start seeing that being utilized more and more. I think that's true. And I think it has to because I, I believe that people always want more um, ingenuity and they want things to be multi-purpose. So if the backsplash can be magnetic or the backsplash can change its image or... If you're having a party and you want to have it geared towards whatever theme you might have that night, if it's a Valentine's Day party and you want to change your backsplash and to have images going through, it, it will have to evolve. You know, it will just evolve over time. Well, and in all honesty, if you would have said to someone in their car, right. there's, there's going to be a screen in your car, someone would say, oh, so I can watch. That's a terrible yeah. idea. Right. Right. <laughs> but if you think about it, it's a brilliant idea. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. That's where your map is. You don't have yep. to pick up. The, so to have a screen on the on the backsplash where right. you can see your recipe in real time where there's a there's an oven there's an oven camera right. where you can actually see what what's happening inside the oven you can do it without opening oh, it and yeah. letting out the heat it just seems like this is where this is where we're going we're, oh, we're yeah. working on smarter kitchens here oh yeah absolutely and it and it has to serve some purpose other than just being beautiful it just does yeah. right being yeah. beautiful is great yeah absolutely um your commercial projects. Yes. So I picked out three of them. Okay. Because they're all very different. Yes. And I want you to sort of take me through each one individually. Okay. Um, and sort of what your thought was. I'm going to start with Play. Okay. Um, Play was a fantastic retail store for young teenage girls. The owner called it tweens. That was a new term for me back when we did it. Um, and it was his first time opening a, a clothing store for young girls. And it was in Beverly Hills. And he wanted to do something that was interactive. And he thought, what can I do to get them excited to go in the dressing room and you know, change into different outfits or whatever? So we, we created this idea of building a runway. So the front part of the store was your retail space. And you'd pick whatever clothes you want. You go in the back. You have to actually walk on the runway to get to the dressing rooms in the back, which the girls loved. And then you'd have to come onto the runway to show your mom or your dad or whoever's with you what, you what your outfit is. And then in addition to that, we put video cameras on the runway. So we would record whoever is you know, in their new outfit. It would be playing on the front glass of um, the store. So when people are walking by, they can kind of see, well, there's a runway show going on or is there or isn't there. And it was, it was just so much fun for them. What I also like about that is you figured out a way to take normally unusable space right and and give it purpose and give it pop and and make it a make it a a, a focal point of oh, the store yeah. it was so tricky because this particular spot i remember it was about 1800 square feet but it was so long and narrow that the owner told me he's like i really don't even have the the plan to buy that much inventory to fill up all this space so i need something so that it sort of kill two birds one stone yeah we're all about killing birds, right? I mean, <laughs> yes, but no, but you know yes. Funny? I, killing mental birds. It's funny you think about the guy. It's a horrible concept, it's but it, concept. but it makes perfect sense. It does. Yeah, it's like wow. Yeah, who wouldn't want to do I that? Know. Yeah, I know. Harvard. Um, okay, so Harvard. <laughs> you have to say it like that, don't you? I know Harvard. <laughs> I know, everyone thinks that Harvard is like this uh, very high end, you know, luxury, and it is a high end luxury building. So. Harvard is a multifamily building that is in Koreatown. And it's with a developer that I love very, very dearly. I've, I've done many, many projects with him. He's a multifamily development developer in LA. And it was his first project doing one in Koreatown. So the interesting thing about doing a project with a developer, um, funny, like how you mentioned that all of a sudden I become an art um, consultant. So now I have to wear the hat also of real estate 
guru and try to understand who the market is, who's going to be purchasing these condos in order to specify my materials. Because the buildings that I do in Koreatown are not the same as the buildings I do in Brentwood. They're a different market. I have to understand who is the buyer. Is it the parents of the people that are living in here? Is it foreign money? Is it local money? What are their expectations? What are the materials that attract them, that make them feel like it's high end? Because it's a different market. It's a different clientele. So this building was made for a very specific clientele in a very specific market in this area that is getting gentrified. And I would imagine, too, you as a designer who also happens to be a native Angelino, right. you know this part of town. You don't, you don't only know what it is now, right. but you knew what it was oh, yeah. and what the historical and the provenance behind you know, certain things in that city. Oh, yeah. And it's really interesting, too, because when people come to L.A., people come to L.A. and say, wow, it's a, it's a massive it's city. It's, it's not huge. a massive city. It's a, com it's a combination of 36, of, 41 different boroughs. Yeah, it that's really what, is. That's what we are, and Koreatown yeah. is very different. Oh, my like night and day it's a different world and so knowing what you're designing and right where you're designing it right and for whom you're designing oh it yeah is is critical it is critical and we have to do a very very um tricky dance between we're building for a builder who obviously his goal is to, goal is to make an amazing building and spend the least amount of money possible but get a lot of design bang out of his dollar right but then i have to make it high end enough to appeal to the people who might be bringing in their money to invest on one of these units but also not overdo it so that way they don't feel like it's too expensive and they don't want to spend the money on it because it's not for the person who wants to live exactly downtown who this might be their second residence it's it's different and so knowing that market and being a native angelino gives me that edge to know what is the psychology of this person and, and who's going to be possibly buying a unit here? Yeah. Last one I wanted to ask you about mm -hmm. was, was uh, Good People. So Good People was um, for a multimedia and social media company. They were opening their first office in downtown LA, so in one of the high rises in downtown, and they were growing faster than they could possibly imagine. I mean, they were growing at a speed that they just, they didn't even know what to do with themselves. So we knew that it was demographically a young company, a lot of young blood in the company, and um, they wanted something fun and something playful, but they also knew that, again, different kind of clients and customers would be coming in, people from media, from the sports world, from all different kinds of aspects. So we needed to have something that was universal, that could be moved around, but that would feel fun. And they didn't want to do a Google campus. They didn't want to copy what somebody else had. So it was it was a play between having something that felt corporate, but not too corporate, that felt young, but not too young. And that was what we had to figure out for them. And it being downtown LA, yes. you have a whole other set, again, different than Koreatown. Oh, yeah. Different than Beverly Hills. Oh, yeah. You have a whole other set of issues that you have to deal with. It, it's it's not only the other set of issues. When I design in Koreatown, and if they want something that's slightly more traditional or a soft contemporary, all of a sudden shifting to downtown and they want it a little edgier and a little funkier, that's what we have to do as designers, right? We have to be able to navigate through all those different parameters. Yeah. Um. How do you, you, you have such a vast and, and wide variety of clientele. Mm -hmm. How do you promote yourself? How do you, how do you get, and it's funny, I see the smile mm -hmm. and I see the wheels turning. <laughs> and and it's, it's funny because I would, I would venture to guess, not guess, I can tell you, as many interviews as I've done mm -hmm. with and talked to as many different designers mm -hmm. and architects and creatives and PR folks and manufacturers and showroom managers mm -hmm. and the trade as the industry it's getting more difficult every right. single day it's really hard to differentiate social media used to work a certain advertising used to work advertising oh, doesn't yeah. work anymore <laughs> nope social media used to work social media doesn't really work anymore no it's really saturated the marketing that that you do as a creative you have to continually innovate you have to continually change and as you do everyone else is doing the same thing and by right. the way you still have to do the same work oh yeah how do you do that? Yeah, and I think also I know very, very well in my mind, I have the pressure of maintaining my office. I have employees that I employ and I need to make payroll. And really at a certain point, I want to say about seven or eight years ago, a real shift went in my mind, which was I'm not a designer. I'm a business owner first. And then I, I design for my work. You know, that's what I get to do. But I have an obligation and I don't want to stop that obligation. I really enjoy the fact that I am able to employ people and provide a great service. 
in terms of how I advertise, you know, I used to get so annoyed when people were like, oh, I'm only referral based or whatever. I didn't come from um, a wealthy family and have rich friends and I did one house and then that rich friend referred me to another rich friend. I didn't, it, that did not happen to me. I wish it did or maybe I didn't, I don't, I don't know. Um, but it really happened through talking to people and building relationships. And I don't mean so much in the way of going to networking events and things like that, although that's wonderful. I don't get work from that. But what I do is I really stay in contact with my developers, with architect friends that I have, with structural engineers. And I really do feel one of the most important things is that I treat people with respect even when things don't go the way that I hoped, the way that I planned, I don't want to break a relationship because I want them to know that I'm the kind of person that will find resolution. I'm not here to point fingers and blame. And what that does over time is it feels, it gives people the feeling that they can recommend me to another job because they know that I will find a resolution for their project. I will get the project done smoothly and they feel confident to refer me that way. So although I started saying that I hate this concept of like, it's all referral based, a large majority of it happens to be, but it's not client to client always. No, I get that. And what I'm picking up on is a couple of things. First of all, the business owner first. Right. Designer second. Yes. I think is crucial. Yes. It's critical it, to the success. It is. And you have to you have to think of it that way because I've I've seen people who are like, well, I'm a creative. It's like, okay, you're a creative. That's and you, great. <laughs> you, then then this is a hobby for you. Right. If it's a business, you have to think of it as a business. Right. The other thing that you that you touched on is really important because the number one source that people tell me is, oh, it's word of mouth. It's not word of mouth. Right. And I came from a, I, my first, this is a second career for me. Right. My first career was in broadcasting. Right. And in brand development on the broadcasting side, it's all about advertising. And, and everything we do is advertising of sorts, advertising sure. or marketing of sorts. Sure. Right. But it's, it's how you, you can advertise or market to one person. Right. And we should be doing that. And I love that you bring that up because I think that that is the direction we go from many to uh, you know one to many. Right, it's shifting and it's it's gone from many to one, and now it's that's the influencer model, right. and now it's one to one. It's like right. I'm going to build these relationships, oh, and yeah. we're going to work together whenever yeah. we can. Yeah, and I don't think that was necessarily taught. Although, like, yes, I listen to many books and podcasts and all that kind of stuff about branding, marketing, business development. I'm sort of like addicted to them, and and I never stop learning. But I think I was. A, not in the position financially to do big grand advertising, so it wasn't even on the plate for me, but it was just something I had to do if I wanted to continue to grow my business, you know, hire more employees, I had to make money. You know, I had to sell product, get more projects, make sure there's projects in my pipeline. I mean, this is something that's constantly in my mind. I talk with it, with the team in the office. I, we talk about who's in the pipeline, what's coming up. So that way they always also have accountability for me to make sure I sign another contract because we need to keep the jobs, you know, going. It's, it's a business. And then there's that four-letter word in interior design that, that everyone likes to whisper and say out loudly if they have to, and it's HGTV. Right. <laughs> is... Is that a thing now like it used to be? Is it a thing for just a few? Is it a thing for many? What What is it now? Because I know what it used to be sure. to designers. I think what we it, all know what it used to be. Yeah. yeah. What, is it, what is it now? I think it's different now for, for me, because I can talk about myself. Um, what it did was it built credibility. It got me in front of people so that I can show who I am, how I work, how I talk, how I communicate without having to be in someone's home. That was the one thing for me that basically was great and I, and, and I used it for. Is it who my clientele is necessarily? No, but that's okay. Is it where I wanna grow my business? No, but for some people it is. For some people, they let's say want to move towards branding themselves and selling product. That's great, and maybe that's where HGTV is moving towards. Um, but I think HGTV now is a source to understand how things are done, maybe understand the process. But I always tell people, because you know, I get calls, uh, I saw you on the show or whatever, I always tell people it is a show. At the end of the day, HGTV is providing content for entertainment. You can't take everything dollar to dollar, word for word. It's in different cities and it's in different countries sometimes. So take it with a grain of salt. It is first and foremost a form of entertainment. Then it gives you some information 
and then you can sort of take it from there. I recently had a conversation with John McClain, another yes. designer who was on a reality show, was on you know a design show, mm -hmm. and we talked about it. And he saw tremendous success. He saw business come from that appearance. Right. Did you see the same thing? I didn't see huge success. I definitely saw, I mean, there were calls to the office and people wanted to work with me because they saw the show. Again, it wasn't in my typical clientele all the time. It was for the people who saw whatever episode of, of uh, on HGTV they saw, and it was maybe a budget show. So they associate my work with budget work. And again, it goes back to the education. I know that you saw the show. The show is a form of entertainment. The real world is slightly different, and this is how it's different. So along those lines, mm -hmm. and I'm sorry, you know what's funny? We're going so over, No, but okay. I'm just having a blast here. <laughs> and I'm curious, did, do you feel in any way, shape, or form like that sort of pigeonholed you? In, in, did you become a budget designer? Did you have to fight that off then? Maybe slightly, but I think once I did the education with the client, also, listen, I can meet with a client and they could assume whatever they want of me. And if it doesn't fit, it's okay to say, you know what, I'm not the right fit, but I have someone who might be a better fit for you who's in your budget. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. So even if I maybe did feel pigeonholed or whatever, I got out of that quickly. It really wasn't an issue because I would talk, you know, from the beginning and, and sort of wash that out and see where they were. It's so smart. <laughs> I, no, I, well... What what this all encapsulates for me mm -hmm. is, and I as a journalist, I come away from this thinking, you know, what did I learn and what can I share with my listeners? Right. Right. And the business first aspect Huge. is really important. Yes. But you also have to be able to do the work. Yes. And you have to be the creative at the same time. Right. And that's not easy to do. Right. And you have to explain the process. So you have to be a communicator as well. Yes. I think so much of our work, and I know people joke about this as psychology, but it's, it's, it's because true. psychology is communication, Yeah. right? And that's such a big part of what we do because basically it's setting expectations. If they're expecting something and you are on a different page and you are not expecting to deliver that, then everyone's going to be disappointed. And that all happens with communication. That's right. Sherry, this was so much fun. Good, me too. Yeah, I love great. this. Thank you for doing this. <laughs> You're so welcome. My pleasure. All right. <laughs> Convo by Design is proud to be working with Vendome Furniture. Their design culture is the key to their success. It's what pushes them to consistently create new collections that give spaces a new dimension. They create dialogue between environment and form. Vendome pieces can transform the simplest space into one filled with glamour that is both unique and extraordinary. And isn't that what design is all about? creating atmospheres where you can take hold of life and enjoy it to the fullest. Vendome products are simple and elegant, contemporary and exceptionally comfortable. Their crafted modern durable molded resin, glass, and metal designs are unique. They beg to be enjoyed. Have you seen them featured in our videos? Check out our YouTube channel and see this for yourself. You can also find them in their showrooms at the D&D Building in New York, Wynwood in Miami, and the Pacific Design Center here in Los Angeles, or online at vendome.com.